playing the biggest rock bands of all time. Coming up next, it's This, That, and the Other. This, That, and the Other. Greetings. This is Todd Kearns from Slash featuring Miles Candy and the Conspirators, Took, Bruce Kulick, and all kinds of other things. And you are listening to This, That, and the Other on Dirty Radio Classics. Yeah, hey, 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 you know what that means. It means we've got a guest here calling in right now. Las Vegas, standing outside of a rehearsal room. We're going to ring him up, see if we can get this going here. Todd Kearns, giving him a ring. From Slash, featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. Tuke, Age of Electric, Bruce Kulick Band, of which we are giving tickets away for today. Let's get him on the phone here. I'm going to ring him up. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. That phone's super hot. Nice. See if he answers. Oh, hey, we've got uh, Todd Kearns. Hey, we're just on the other side of the street from one another, but we are socially distancing as you are ready to head into a rehearsal. And I'm doing this silly radio show that we do live two to five Pacific Standard Time every Wednesday here out of Las Vegas. Mr. Todd Kearns, you are the utility guy coming to bat for me right now when I need you in my darkest, deepest hour here to give away a pair of tickets (laughs) for a show in town of what you're doing. But we're going to get to that in a little bit. I wanted to uh, just thank you for coming on my little radio show, man. Oh, I'm thrilled. Are you kidding me? Right you on. Call, I, I answer. That's Dude, it's cool. awesome, and it's super nice, and, and, and the day that the calls don't get answered will be a, a, a day of uh, <laughs> you know, much inner reflection. But uh, <laughs> hey, man, you know, I know you're getting ready to step into rehearsals for a show in town here, of which we are giving away tickets for here, and we're going to get to that uh, at the very end. But I just wanted to kind of gloss over who is Todd Dammit Kearns, and, uh, and, and why are we on the phone with you, and, and I'm going to tell you why. Well, he's going to tell you why right now. Um, a couple things you're, you're, you know, you're doing, you've got your hands in a lot of different pots. Of course, you play with Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators, but you've got a couple really cool projects. You do a lot of great things with guys like Bruce Kulick. You've got uh, Took. And, uh, you know, you come from uh, a long musical history, going back to the days in Canada, because you are Canadian. There's a bunch of you here in Las Vegas, by the way. And, yes, uh, and I'd like to get to the bottom of that. I think there's uh, that's an Area 51 <laughs> thing, perhaps. I don't know. But, uh, hey, you know, just tell me a little bit briefly about uh, your history and uh, how you ended up here in the States uh, after Age of Electric. And, and what happened to that band? Because you guys were signed over there uh, on, a, on a major label, correct? Yeah, we, um, I mean, honestly, that was a band I formed with my brother when we were very young. And uh, it was us and two other brothers which is a weird way to do things, but it was, um, it was great. We actually did great things. We managed to get like signed to a label, well, to Mercury records out of New York city. And, and, and we had management out of New York, you know, it was a, it was kind of a big deal. Um, the funniest thing about any band is, as you know, being in a few bands yourself 
trying to keep a band together is is more challenging than a than a personal relationship. I think more more times than not. So, for sure, um, for sure. So for us, it just kind of you know after ten years of slugging it out and you know finally getting some stuff happening, we just sort of landed at that place where we were like you know it just it, everybody just kind of felt like you know we would probably end up murdering each other if we stayed together. I think we we didn't have that sort of foresight being young and smart enough to kind of go you know what. Maybe we could just keep doing this, but let's take a year away from each other, do other things, and then come back, that kind of thing. That would have been the adult and mature thing to do. Instead, we all just kind of walked away. And when you're young, you always have that feeling of like, well, I already did it. I'll just do it again. You know, and um, it doesn't quite work that way, especially in the shifting craziness that was the music industry in the uh, turn of the century. As you remember, the uh, the downloading and all the things that were occurring really changed the game. So yeah, for um, sure. And we, and we experienced that today. I mean, that, that downloading, that digital, digital way of, of obtaining music is really the only way a lot of people obtain music. You know, through streaming 100%. and 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 uh, you know, we still have record store day in many stores uh, around the world in America and Canada and stuff like that, where you know bands will put out special releases just on vinyl. And you know, some uh, some bands are even putting out a cassette again, you know, to kind of bring back some old school. And you know, you probably make a few bucks burning a few cassettes yeah. these days too. The new, you know? the new Slash album's coming out on cassette, believe it or not. There you go. That's that's awesome. <laughs> that, I mean, that's super cool. I, I think one thing that you mentioned. Um, was back in the day, it was, and I, I feel like this has changed throughout my life. You know, when we were kids starting our bands, that was it. We were in that band. You know, now yeah. as we get older, we find ourselves in a lot of different bands, uh, whether it's, you know, because you're just a blue collar. Like, I, I kind of call myself a blue collar drummer, and I try and wear a few hats to bring yep. a little bit of value to myself. There's a lot yep. of fantastic drummers, a lot of great drummers. And, uh, you know, but I feel like if I can learn a few other tricks, you know, uh, do the limbo or whatever I got to do, you know, I might have a chance <laughs> at getting, uh, you know, a gig because I bring a little bit more to the table, not other than just being a good drummer. Because I, I think just being a good musician alone is not always enough for you to get the gig. Um, but have you found that, that that's been different? Like, you know, it's all for one, one for all. And now it's it's like you're in, you know, you could have 12 months out of the year and, and play in five or six different projects. That has sort of been the new uh, format, and I believe a lot of that has to do with the fact that the record industry is so, or the music industry is so different than it was when you and I were kids. We would put a band together, build a, build a following, uh, record demos, and get a record deal, hopefully, and, and then that would sort of be that. But because we live in an industry where that's not really carrying anybody anymore. The um, the fact that you make music, you release music, that kind of thing is sort of a, uh, you know, it's sort of a, a a dead work model. You know what I mean? So now it's kind of like, and I kind of felt that way, like when you brought up, uh, you know, the, the change of having been in a band that was literally like, you know, we all grew up on the Beatles and Kiss and we thought this is what you do. You put a band together and we all we live in each other's pocket and we, you know, work together. And, um, you know, uh, then I did another project after that that was sort of really the uh, deciding factor of how difficult it was to try and make music within a, a very, you know, crazy changing industry. And then um, I started doing my own thing. I started, you know, producing. I started uh, recording my own solo stuff and whatnot. And then when um, a call into the U.S. sort of turned into more of a, um, would I be willing to, like you say, put on a, a the, the blue collar musician thing, which is kind of, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a singer, I'm a songwriter, I'm a guitar player, I'm a bass player. And I don't really take any of that, like, I just kind of consider myself a musician, you know what I mean? So sure. it's kind of like, 
I love doing all those things. I mean, it's like, it's just, it's not really one of those things where I feel like I'm making some sort of concession because I'm not doing this or I'm not doing that. To me, it was always kind of like, man, getting to play music is, is the goal. So if someone wants me to do this or someone wants me to do that, I'm happy to do it. You know, and it's, it's, uh, uh, and I think the more options you have, the more like, uh, you know, like when, when it comes to being the bass player for slash, that sort of has been my main vocation for 12 years now, you know, and it's sort of, um, but at the same time, as soon as that sort of, once we put it in mothballs, you know, to, for Guns N' Roses or Alter Bridge or whatever other reason, if I'm just sitting around and the only thing I can do is play bass, then that exponentially lowers the phone calls that I can answer. Sure, you know I mean? sure. So, so as a singer or as a guitar player or as a songwriter and all the things that, you know, and just all the things that I do, it's sort of like I'm, you know, I, I'm, li I'm like you in the fact that there's 52 weeks of the year and I, I'm one of those people, I like to be busy. You know I mean? I like sure. to be busy in that, not, not just busy to be busy, but busy in, in terms of like, you know, feeling productive, feeling like I have somewhere, you know, the, the, once this project is done, then I'm going to go do this. You know what I mean? In, in a perfect world, I think, you know, all of us would rather have been in the Beatles or, you know, I mean, that's a, that's a silly thing to say, but something like that, that business model of like, I was in a band at 18 years old and I'm still playing with those guys. And every year we make a record and we go on the road, you know, rinse, repeat the end, you know, but that's not the way my life kind of went down. And in fact, it's not the, the way most people's life go down. So to me, I just feel like, you know, like today, I wake up, I'm going to rehearse with Bruce and the guys, we're playing tomorrow night, and then that thing goes into into a delete file, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, sort yeah. Sort of like, you know, and then the next thing is, like, I got to get ready for the Slash Tour, and I got a few recording projects to finish up before I before I go do that. So, as a musician, I feel like I've always got, uh, the calendar is, is pretty full. You know, uh, you mentioned the Beatles, and, and uh, you know, Bruce Kulik, you're uh, doing gigs with him, have been for many years, and we're going to talk a little bit about the dynamic of that, but, you know, Kiss and Beatles and Guns N' Roses, you know, these are all mm -hmm. bands that, uh, you know, when when those guys, when that album, you know, popped out, uh, you know, Welcome to the Jungles there, and you see those five guys, it's those five guys, and, and as the years go by, some of those guys you know have disappeared and there. For, yeah <laughs> and, and and you know there's something about that band that gang and when they're all five together you're like those are the four or five guys that you know and then once one dude leaves it it, it sort of makes it a little weird at least it, it you know for me as a kid growing up seeing these these members change now the good thing with uh, gnr is that uh, a couple of the guys are back and i think that yeah. the, you know there's a lot i've seen i've seen both shows and you know the catalog's fantastic, the band's fantastic, but when when there's a slash and duff up there, uh, it, it really it changes the game. It, it is for me, you know, as a fan oh, yeah. of of live music and of that band. Uh, but now we live in an era of a lot of bands out there, you know, for example, Foreigner touring sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, without anybody uh, that's original in the band. However, those guys have been there for decades plus, you mm -hmm. know. And, uh, you know, what are your thoughts about the sort of inner, because you're, you're kind of an interchangeable guy, you're a utility guy, you know, you're a musician, somebody needs a bass player, you know, hey, call this guy, he can be there tomorrow, he'll know your catalog probably better right. than the other guy, and, and he's <laughs> there, you know. Um, what do you think about, because, you know, while we, we both share this affinity for the OGs, um, you and I are both utility guys sometimes taking the place of somebody, whether it's, you know, the next year or 10 years down the road. How do, you, how do you feel about these bands going out there that maybe don't have all the original guys or maybe it's just the singer or maybe the guitar player or, or there's multiple versions? I think it's interesting because, you know, I think it, it, it was kind of an eye opener to me that as a, as a kid, as a, as a child, really, you know, having the kind of passion that I had for music and, and knowing 
every member of every band and knowing all their songs and knowing who produced the songs, knowing who wrote what, you know, that was just sort of like the nature of who I am. It was basically the same as, you know, people who are able to spit, spit out sports stats to me, you know, I just wasn't that guy. I don't care. You know, it's kind of like, but I could tell you Ramon's records and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, when you have this kind of romance with music with that comes the fact that the four Beatles don't like each other anymore. They're not going to play together. Okay. You know, um, Brian Jones is no longer the guitar player for the Rolling Stones. Now it's Mick Taylor and then it's Ronnie Wood. And these changes, you know, they occur. Peter Chris, when he left Kiss, was a big deal. We were kids, but, you know, I remember it plain as day, you know, when it's like, this is Eric Carr. And that sort of, it was exciting. Um, I was too young to really have a big opinion about like, oh, they're never going to be the same. You know? Sure, sure. But I realize now that, or at some point I realized that a lot of people don't care. <laughs> you know, I mean? like I kind of realized that, uh, it's not quite the same to like, that same sense of passion and just like, oh my God, I know everything about this band. And some people are like, oh yeah, I love those guys, but they don't, and they'll go see the band almost every year that they come through. Sure. But they don't really like, they don't lose sleep about the fact that that guitar player who's on stage now is not the original guy. Um, you know, and I, you know, as a Kiss fan, as close to that camp as I am, having witnessed those changes my whole life, you know what I mean? Like, you know, where the first time I finally saw Kiss, Bruce was the guitar player. Bruce was his first tour in the Animalize tour. And, you know, there were, there were some rumblings about, you know, we'd already gone through the Ace Frehley thing, into the Vinnie Vincent thing, into the Mark St. John thing. So I think that now we live in a day and age, like you say, you know, we're sitting here in Las Vegas. Every week you can open up a Vegas Weekly or, or, or look to see what's, what's online and who's coming to town. And we get all the major names, even like even years ago when things like the four tops are coming through town. I remember there being like this conversation about like, you realize it's only one of the original four tops. <laughs> it's the one top. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, well, some of them are no longer with us. You know what I mean? And, and some of these guys, what ends up happening, whether it's Leonard Skinner or whatever, is somebody dropped off a long time ago. They quit, they, whatever they did, and they were replaced by somebody. And that person has now been in the band for 20, 25 years in some cases. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. When, when when original members start dropping off in a case of, like, say, Foreigner, then, yeah, you've got this kind of like, well, that's kind of weird. But, I mean, we're really, honestly, it's a weird conversation to have that we are amongst the first generation to watch rock and roll actually get old. You know what I mean? Like, to actually see the Stones a couple months ago come through Vegas and think to myself, I don't think any of us could have thought even around the Steel Wheels tour. How old were they then? In their 40s? We considered them like old men. Right, right, right. And, and and now I'm seeing these guys, you know, late 70s, and I'm thinking, this is it. You know, this is, we're witnessing in real time rock and roll get old. You know what I mean? And, uh, and, and I think that that's, part of that is the fact that you and I live in a town where casinos and, and there's an entire web of casinos and, and county fairs around the country where you can have these bands and and sometimes it'll be like long standing member is Rudy Sarzo in in Quiet Riot. Rudy wasn't the original bass player, but he's the guy we connect to the those records. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. And and he's the only guy still there. So you look around at these different bands, and you and you and what I realize more and more objectively is the fact that people are just they have their connection to the music, and the music actually means more than anybody else involved. And it's sort of a sobering thing to think as a musician that, you know, as integral as you may be to this project or that project, it kind of doesn't matter. <laughs> like at some point someone could come along, replace you and that band would probably be just fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think, 
there's certainly some cases where that's not really, you know, that's not really worked. But hey, man, we said that about David Lee Roth. We said that about Bon Scott. We said that about Slash. You know, all these guys have been replaced and the things have done okay or done fine or in some cases done better than ever. But so it's, it's, it's a funny thing. The music lives on. It's the music that's immortal. You know what I mean? Like that's the funny thing is in, you know, in, in 50 years from now, I mean, who knows, but I'm pretty sure things like welcome to the jungle will be on a soundtrack of a movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. For <laughs> Whether sure. everybody's still alive or not, it's just like these songs will live on forever way past any of the people who made the music. Yeah, you know, but the interesting thing about that, and it's just an interesting observation as you say that, and kind of discuss that the music is bigger than any one person in the band. However, it was those people that wrote that music that's so important. Yeah. But, but yeah, you know, as years go by, and we see it all the time. There's there's multiple versions of bands going out there. This singer has his version, so oh, he's right, the voice, right, yeah. and then the other ones, the the guitar player guy who's got a different singer. But you know, they they all you know these these bands, uh, you know, the Great Whites of the World and the LA Guns is you know they're out, they're out there doing mm-hmm. business. You know, uh, Lou Graham goes out there, he's got his band, and then there's mm-hmm. Foreigner, you know, and uh, and and they've been doing great business for for years and years and years and so you know it is a testament to that statement that you know it is that catalog and those hits that are really bigger than any one person in the band because i don't see anybody going you know i'm not going to foreigner because you know lou graham's not there well lou graham hasn't been there for 30 years you know but you can still go see lou graham down the road you know which which is a which is still as you say in reference to rolling stones it, it is a miracle because every day we open up the paper or you know I, I open up the paper i just dated myself there but you know <laughs> yeah, too, you know yeah. I, I get a text message from harvey levin you know knowing that somebody else has passed away you know and i'm I afraid know. to read the alerts you know and i'm just happy that i'm not famous or worthy enough to to be on harvey's radar because otherwise he would be announcing when I pass away. I, and that's the day <laughs> well, I dread, you know? I'm sure he will anyway. But the reality <laughs> is, you know, it's like there are certain bands, and you and I both know that, you know, you know, there, there's never going to be another Rolling Stones once Mick Jagger's gone. For you sure. Know, I, I, I can't imagine there being one without Keith. But um, there are going to be certain acts that just that's not going to be, that's not going to happen. Um, I suppose when you look at solo artists, you can't replace Rick Springfield. He's a person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like... I mean, I guess they could eventually do a tribute show or like, you know, or whatever, like to, I mean, Meatloaf's doing a show where he's not even in the show. It's like a thing called Bat. And he has a, uh, a singer guy come out and do basically the Meatloaf show without Meatloaf. But it's like sanctioned, you know, by the actual real artist. Yeah, um, you know, but that, that's, that's the other side of it is too, is these people are getting older and some of them, what they were doing in their 20s and 30s is something that they really can't can't do nobody nobody could have imagined doing in their 60s and 70s and 80s of course of course but you know the thing about meatloaf that you mentioned is uh you know if meatloaf doesn't have a a hand in it somebody else here in vegas is doing a tribute to meatloaf he might as well you know it might as well have a little bit of say in it oversee it and and hey make a few bucks off of uh, licensing it you know i mean yeah i mean why not because otherwise some uh a-hole in vegas here is gonna do it anyway you know totally Um, totally. hey, hey let's talk about uh you know Toque. First of all, what is a toque? I, I was saying toque, and I go, oh, toque, maybe it's a reference. What's a toque? A toque, um, the reason we use it is it's a Canadian term for a, basically what you would call a beanie. I'm not sure exactly how to, to describe it. When you look at the kids on South Park, yeah, <laughs> um, they, they, were, they were the beanies with the pom-pom on Yeah, top, sure, sure. Which you would wear in the Midwest or anywhere where it's cold. Um, they, it's a French-Canadian term, toque, which I think means a certain kind of hat, but it became sort of 
the go-to term in Canada for any kind of beanie, basically, any kind of wool cap, ski cap, whatever you call it, depending on what region you're from. So it, when we kind of started doing that, what we started doing was these benefit shows in Canada, and Brent Fitz came up with the idea, what if we just played all Canadian music? And I thought, that'd be fun, because, you know, we all grew up on that stuff. It'd be like saying to you, you know, wherever you grew up, the bands that were popular in that state or town, you're just going to play those songs. You know, yeah. it's sort of like it would only, it would only really work to the people in that town or that, you know, that it, the, it, the things that were specifically popular there. Yeah, so, well, you know, I mean, I hail from the Chicago area. So think about right. we got Cheap Trick and we've got REO mm -hmm. and I mean, a Survivor, a lot of really cool uh, bands. And then uh, you get into Smashing yeah. Pumpkins, Urge Overkill, Veruca Salt. There's a lot of Chicago stuff that goes on and for on sure, and on. For sure, for sure. For Canada, and I think the true is of, you know, the true of Sweden or Japan, or Japan or Australia, you know, it's like countries that have their own scene. And, you know, we could, you know, talk to somebody from Finland and they can mention five bands that we've never heard of, you know, but they're successful over there. So Canada very much has its own thing. Um, so we just kind of fell into this, this thing of playing these songs and having a blast and thinking like, wouldn't it be cool to record this song? It's such a great song. No one knows this song. It's so great, but it never really got its chance to get heard. And, and we just started kind of like recording stuff, just kind of more for fun than anything else. And then um, it needed a name. So it was like we we figured we'd find something very Canadian. And, and Took seemed like the most Canadian thing we could find. Tell me about uh, no, it's great, I, and I love all the uh, the covers of uh, the bands that you've done, and they're all songs that people know they've heard in their youth, and most like, of them, yeah, 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 for sure, for sure, definitely. You guys hit some uh, deep cuts, which I think is the charming part about it. It's not just the obvious stuff; it's uh, yeah. some stuff that allow people to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole. Hey, tell me about the the nickname "Damn It," Todd Damn It Kearns. Where, where, where's that come from? Well, it's you know like. As a kid, you know, in the in in the little punk rock world of naming somebody Johnny Rotten or Sid Vicious, or there's a whole scene, you know, where kids would just attach something to their name, and of course, Todd Dammit rhymes with the expletive GD. So I kind of ah uh, okay. So yeah. it just so Todd Dammit was just like something that hung around for years and then went away and then came back and then oddly enough, when I came to Vegas, what's what's strange is that I came to Vegas. And I really didn't have any intention of staying necessarily. Like I just came and was, was you know, I, I ended up in some weird version of Fast Pussycat with Brent Muscat. We went over to Europe and did a run. And we came back here and we started a band called the Sin City Sinners. And we play every Tuesday night at the dive bar. And and I go on stage and I'm like, no one knows who Todd Kearns is. That was kind of like a refreshing thing to have a whole history of a background up in Canada and Anytime somebody comes to see a show, they have expectations of what you've done, yeah. your your past, and all that kind of stuff. But when when you kind of take all that away and you can walk on stage and be like, it's and, both it's both scary and um, refreshing in that you can just kind of go up there and be like, I'm just this Todd, and I was, I was just some Todd guy from Canada. So so the the, the name Todd Dammit came back again, and guys like Vinnie Paul really drove it home. Vinnie from pantera of course who we've since lost but he uh he loved that name and he would scream it across casinos at me <laughs> and i'd be like oh vinny's here <laughs> yeah, yeah i don't think he i don't think he knew who todd kearns was i think he only knew me as todd damn it <laughs> tell me about how you uh got here to vegas i had friends living here as you mentioned a lot of canadians here yeah um 
And uh, I, like I said, I was recording, uh, doing my own music and doing a lot of uh, producing and recording with other bands. And some friends of mine down here were working on some music. And I was like, and they were like, do you want to come down and, and help us put this this you know EP or recording together? And I was like, of course. And I came down and then it stumbled into a, hey, you want to come play? It, it would just be random things too, like over at Crown and Anchor, just a a British pub and, and they would just be playing like, you know, cover songs and it'd be fun. And I'd be like, and I just happened to be one of those people who never lost all this catalog of songs that are in my hard drive of a brain. And I'd be like, yeah, I know that song, you know, like, do you know Rebel Yell by Billy Idol? I'm like, of course I know. You know, it's like, so it just kind of happened that, you know, I just sort of fell into this sort of thing. And, I, and it was really eye opening to be here because I was from a world where, all of us musicians were living in squalor or multiple guys to one bedroom apartments. So, sure. you know, basically everybody's like trying to make a real hard go of it. We're going to get record deals. We're going to be this, we're going to be that. I'd been through all that, but, um, I never really came to, to I, musicians were either very successful or they were trying to be successful is what I felt. I came to Vegas and I and it had this real different mentality of every time I'd walk into a casino, I'd think, there are multiple gigs in this building. Like yeah. There's a guy playing piano over there. There's an acoustic duo over there. There's a, a jazz quartet happening over there. And I would think to myself, and then I would just know all these musicians who lived a very comfortable life. They had, they owned houses. They, and I thought to myself, Hey, this isn't so bad. So I kind of sort of stumbled into this world where I kind of like, I was still bouncing back and forth um, between Vancouver, Canada and here, and, uh, you know, and, and next thing I know, I'm, I'm, I'm attached in, in this scene and, and things like the Sin City Sinners is, is doing very well. And for some reason, playing in proper casino showcases, uh, showcase rooms, when in fact, uh, these showrooms were really intended for, you know, <laughs> showroom bands, really. For sure, but, yeah. Um, but uh, I think that we were sort of in an interesting place where this rock, classic rock kind of thing had kind of started to spill into... You know, let's kind of get rid of the the sort of, um, I don't know, like uh, throwback kind of dance quality kind of music and actually like have rock. So the Sinners kind of started into that and then the Slash Call happened and that's what really sort of, you know, cemented my stay in the United States. Yeah, that's actually a great transition because I was going to talk a little bit about uh, how you got into to, to Slash, how you got on that radar to get the phone call. Um, well, Brent Fitz, our drummer... He, um, he and I actually, oddly enough, had been playing with Bruce Kulick even back then. So that would have been 2010. Bruce was putting out his third solo album, BK3. So we had been doing, we did a, a, a couple things together. And Fitz was in LA. We had done um, a CD release party for, for Bruce at the Cat Club. Um, some Jim Phantom's place over by the Whiskey. Sure. It's not there anymore. A lot of my stories about clubs are, it's not there anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah, fortunately. <laughs> Um, but, uh, he just happened to be in LA and he stumbled across slash was looking for, for players. So he, he landed the gig as the drummer and then brought me in as the bass player. And I was like, um, it was very strange to me because I was like, you know, when I tell the story, it's kind of like it was, um, cause I was so set up in Vegas and I had a lot going on and I was working all the time. And in, the, in a lot of ways I was, you know, very independent, you know, 
sleeping in your own bed every night, which is which was a new experience as a musician. I was like, <laughs> I'm so accustomed, just like you know, just being on the road like a pirate. Um, and then, um, you know, then all of a sudden it was like it wasn't a slam dunk for me right away. It was like, well, yeah, of course, you know, I'm I'm a massive Guns N' Roses fan, especially the Appetite era. Slash is one of my all-time favorite uh, guitar players. So I was like, I went down there and, and, and we tried out and tried out. It was it was actually like more like a jam session. I, I always tell the story that I never really went over any music. Appetite for Destruction is just kind of a part of my DNA. So I was just kind of like, I showed up, I played, um, and it was sort of like, I wasn't that familiar with Miles. I wasn't that familiar with Alter Bridge at, at that time. I, I, of course, I was aware of them and I had heard the music, but I wasn't really invested. Um, and then it kind of came together that I was like, well, yeah, of course, you know, I sort of like dove into it. And that's like, like you say, going on 12 years ago. Wow. And uh, you guys have a new album. And uh, when does that album drop? February 11th. February 11th. Yeah. And then uh, a tour will commence and you guys are going to, uh, speaking of 702 in Las Vegas, you guys are going to be at the brand new Virgin, and uh, that's happening uh, February 19th, so a week essentially after the album drops, you guys are in town at the Virgin, the formerly known as Hard Rock, which, uh, by the way, for, for those in Vegas or those, well, all over the world, uh, big news is that the Hard Rock uh, Hotel will be back in Las Vegas, but now on the Strip. They were off the That's Strip correct. for many, many years. They sold the Virgin. You guys will be playing that uh, legendary room there. And then, uh, and then, uh, gosh, a couple years. What would lose the MGM or no, what, the Mirage? That's gone, huh? Yeah, they, they bought so the spring. Mirage. That's going to be trippy. But uh, have you been to the new Virgin? I've only wandered through it. Uh, we had dinner there one night just to kind of, you know, to see the new room and all that kind of stuff. I believe the room, the 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 theater is technically the joint. The yeah, joint, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and that's had a lot of great bands. You know, you mentioned, and, and forgive me for the uh, ADD and all over the place, but you mentioned Vancouver, Canada, and then we talked mm -hmm. about Virgin, the joint. I saw Nickelback there. What is a Canadian's perspective on Nickelback? Because for some reason... People, there, there's this thing like where people like to hate Dave Grohl for, he's like the new Nickelback, and then people like to hate Nickelback, but I'm like, wait, okay, they sold how many millions of albums, they've had how many top whatever hits, How do, and, and they do great shows, how, how do people, who are these people I hate them because the, all they're doing is doing good business, what, what, a Canadian's perspective on Nickelback, do you want your Nickelback? <laughs> it's funny because, you know, I knew those guys. Um, I don't really know them now, but you know, when they were coming up, it was sort of like uh, I never really, I've never really understood the the sort of like negativity that happens when people become successful. You know, it's like if they were like a a, a band that was still kind of out there slugging it out and still doing the thing, I think everybody would be like, great. You know, no one would have anything to say. But it's something happens when a, when a band attains or an artist attains a certain level of success that. Uh, People just start to get kind of uh, negative about it, and I, and I always kind of feel like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm not mad at Nickelback. I never have been. I'm always like, why? Why would I be mad at those guys? They're they're, they're very good at what they do. I did a tour with them uh, in 01 before that How You Remind Me tune broke mm. here in the States. Uh, it was sure, yeah. in January. It was with Everclear and Nickelback. And we started in uh, Rochester. And as we made our way west, I started seeing the shift in the audience that it was, oh, we're not at an Everclear show anymore. We're now moving into Nickelback territory. And then the final right. show in uh, Vancouver, it was just uh, the band that I was in. And Everclear, because Nickelback would never open for anybody at that point. And then six, eight months later... 
that song hits in the summer of 01, and I was like, hey, I was on tour with these guys. And then, we, you know, you never heard the end of them because they, they just kept putting out hits and hits and hits. And I, uh, I happened to see them at the joint within the last few years. They put on a great show. I felt like I saw them in a club because they had a lot of banter on stage and they made a lot of, like, had fun with each other. And I was like, who, who can hate these guys? They got they put on a great rock show. It's a high energy show. They got great songs and they had fun. They didn't take themselves too seriously. So uh, for those Nickelback haters, I don't know, man, you might want to reconsider <laughs> that. <laughs> I, think they, I think they're good dudes. Hey, so let's shift into why we're really here because uh, you've got to rehearse rehearsal I, I don't want Bruce mad at me for keeping you behind here but uh, you're gonna be playing here in town now today as we do this show live between 2 and 5 Pacific Standard Time uh, on the 29th tomorrow is the 30th now if you're listening on the Saturday replay then you missed your chance on winning a pair of tickets to this show here in Las Vegas another great club that's been here for over a decade Counts Vamped Danny Coker Corey Coker uh, on Sahara uh, this is a great event this is the first time I think that Bruce Kulik band has played on land, so to speak, in this sort of format. Is that true? That's absolutely true. In fact, um, you know, initially we had sort of entertained the idea of doing this because KISS was meant to be doing a residency um, at Zappos, I guess, in the planet Hollywood, um, which didn't happen. So we had entertained the idea of like, well, I mean, KISS fans are going to be here. Why don't we? That'd be a great, great opportunity to do so. Um, Of course, our time was limited because Brent and I are both going away very soon to start um, Slash stuff. And um, so what ended up happening was, you know, we kind of zeroed in on maybe just, well, what about the 30th? Or, you know, and it was kind of like, yeah, sure, let's do that. And then it was um, the Kiss thing didn't end up happening. The um, the, the kids from uh, Kiss decided not to, uh, the kids. <laughs> and they decided not to uh, not to not to do it so we all kind of went okay and then there was a conversation a long conversation had to happen on like okay well uh what are we gonna do here as far as should we still do it and it was like yes i think we should and uh here we are so it's kind of like you know we, we've done this we've done this we started doing it in this 2017 with bob kulik who has since passed away unfortunately yeah yeah and um and then we had to uh entertain the idea the following year we brought in zach throne so initially i was i was the only singer but in kiss there's such a a dichotomy of of the gene paul um you know back and forth kind of thing so i I was like and and zach's one of my all-time favorite musicians and humans of all time so to me it became like a no-brainer we should just get we should just get him in and and do the uh do the gene stuff and uh and that became really, really fun. It became like, uh, you know, I, for, when you're doing something like a, a Kiss Cruise, you really can't go wrong. You know what I mean? You really can do no wrong because what you're dealing with is essentially what I call a Star Trek convention yeah, yeah. for Kiss. You know what I mean? It's like, so, you know, it'd be like if you're on, at a Star Trek convention and you want to just talk about really generic things, those people know everything. You know, so when you're at a Kiss Cruise, it's like, you know, they, we all, as Kiss fans, sure, we love Shout It Out Loud, and we love Detroit Rock City, and we love rock and roll all night, but we've heard them played by Kiss since we were children. So when Bruce sort of had the idea of, like, well, it'd be great to be playing stuff from his era, Bruce was there, um, you know, during that entire non-makeup phase. Yeah. And 
and they had some massive hits. You know, you, you kind of forget. And you kind of forget how many people even found Kiss around that stage, too. Like, or sort of their first Kiss concerts. My first Kiss concert was a non-makeup Kiss concert. Yeah, yeah, so, my, mine as well. Yeah, what, what tour did you see? Was it, uh, I want to say, probably Animalize. Yeah, same as me, yeah. I think, you know. So I think that in, in, in doing that, we get to see getting to do all these songs and watching the reaction from the audience. I remember the first time we did it was with Bob and we played and people are all like, you know, what was it like? And I go, when usually when you're playing and I, I don't know if you feel like this sometimes, but there's sort of a sports mentality that's going on. where like, I need to put the puck in the net. You know, yeah. I got to get the puck over to that guy. He's going to send it to me. Like there's a whole, like when I'm on stage, I'm kind of like as much as I'm sort of, it's sort of like one of the only times in life where you're actually in the moment. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm often, you know, guilty of like, you know, sitting in a restaurant thinking about like, you know, Oh, I got to call that guy or I got to learn this song or whatever I got going on. I'm, I should be in the moment, but when you're on stage, it's all about this song right now. Second verse is coming now. Okay. But, but do solo, you know, and I walk off stage cause I'm so game face about it. And I'm like, well, that was fun. And my wife goes, are you going to go talk to those people? And I go, what people? I turn around and there's a massive crowd of people who were just like, oh, my God, you know, and we're so thankful that we had sort of dug that deep to play a lot. Of, you know, because we're talking about Bob's era as well, which yeah, is a lot of, of course. Paul Stanley's solo stuff. And then and then Bruce's era. And then, you know, these are people who'd never, you know, even to this day, we, we really sort of go out of our way to dig really deep. And uh, really, kind of give the the hardcore Kiss fan a, a, an experience that makes them kind of go, "Wow, I never thought I'd ever hear those songs." Yeah, yeah, because you know, often there are a lot of songs. You know, there's ten, twelve songs on an album, and the band mm-hmm. will put out two or three hits, and those are the same hits. And when they're as big as some of the hits that Kiss has had, though, you know that you know you have so many albums, you have only so much time to do a show. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it's you know you got to play the hits, otherwise uh, you know it, it, it's so funny because. It's this weird balance of, you know, well, we got a new album out. Well, nobody wants to hear the new album. And it's like, well, how can you never put out new music? Well, because when I put out new music, you guys go to the bar or to the pisser when I, when my band plays right. it. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's that weird, like, well, what do you guys want? Because you only want to hear, you know, shout it out loud. But, you know, but I, but I write this new song and you guys, you know, take a break or whatever. But uh, it, the cool thing about uh, the, the Kiss uh, family and the, and the Kiss, uh, what do they call those? The Kiss... There's the Army. Kiss Army. There you go, duh. And uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, is that they know? You know, they know all the many layers of Kiss. And you know, for you guys to go and, and unearth some of these songs that may have never seen the light of day on on a stage uh, up until recently, since you guys started doing this, can see this uh, tomorrow in Las Vegas. You can still get a flight. I mean, Frontier is like seventeen cents to get a ticket. The bags will cost you a hundred bucks. <laughs> It'll be uncomfortable. Wear your mask. You'll get here. The show starts tomorrow at eight o'clock at Counts Vamped, and you can go to the website countsvamp.com. They got advanced tickets for 23 bucks. They're 28 at the door. Uh, it's going to be a great place. It's going to be a great show. It'll be the first time on land that we're going to see this show. And we are giving away tickets later on in this show uh, to, I have a pair of tickets 
to the show tomorrow uh, for a value of almost 60 bucks. I mean, who else is doing that in this town? Todd, anybody? That's awesome. See? No, I, I don't even have tickets to give away. <laughs> right? There you go. Hey, listen, I'll sell you a pair. No, I, that'd be yeah. against the rule. I can't do that. Right on, man. Well, listen, I'm going to let you get back to uh, to rehearsal so Bruce is not mad at me. Uh, hey, one, one quick question. No, tomorrow when you do the show, are we on uh, Are we on bass or are we on guitar tomorrow? Because you're versatile. I'm doing guitar. Zach and I are both these kind of utility guys. So Zach's playing the, the bass uh, Gene Simmons section, and I, I handle the Paul Stanleyisms. So it's it's uh, it's a lot of fun. And if for some reason, you know, I, I know it probably doesn't fit into the set list, but if you guys uh, need to whip out Beth, uh, you got somebody that plays a goddamn good piano back there on drums, right? Brent Fitz. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Fitz has uh, played piano not only with his stuff, he plays it in, in the Slash Camp too. So, yeah. Unbelievable. I'm a bunch of talented guys going to put on a great show tomorrow. I've seen the set list from the Kiss Cruise. You guys doing something of that magnitude? It's it's over two dozen songs. Yeah, it's probably, I mean, I honestly, we, we you know, it's we're going to rehearsal today to try and decide exactly what's happening so that's kind of part of the fun is the idea of like we know this giant catalog of music what are we going to play that's sort of the idea so while you explained what one can expect at a bruce kulik and band show tomorrow at counts van you guys are going into rehearsal today not even knowing what to expect so you got to be at the show tomorrow on the 30th to see exactly what's going to happen and i'll be there after 8 p.m tomorrow counts vamp thursday december 30th todd dammit currents from uh, slash toque bruce kulik band age of electric and all the other things that he does uh how do we find you on the socials so we can keep up with you and also you do your own podcast where you call and uh rap with your friends and talk about different things in the music industry how do we find you i am pretty easily found todd kearns or todd dammit kearns todd dammit kearns on twitter everything else is just todd kearns so yeah i I, look me up there's a blue check by my name so if you find you know ones that don't have that then it's not going to be me the unofficial todd thanks so much for uh coming on the show uh in the midst of rehearsals for the big gig tomorrow here in town in las vegas at counts vamp i really appreciate you bro thank you again for always picking up my calls and my text messages for random things uh you know throughout the years shall (laughs) i appreciate it bro and i look forward to seeing you tomorrow man thanks so much you got it daddy oh take care all right have a good one that's uh there he goes todd damn it kearns from slash's band and bruce kulik all right kids uh Hey, little remote control, Age of Electric, and I'll be back with more this, that, and the other. Come on, me. Hey everybody out there in Radio Land, this is Joe Exotic. What's more fun than having a big old tiger bark? Listen to this, that, and the other on DirtyRadio.fm on the Dirty Classics Network. Someone's going home if we don't get this right. Dirty Dirty Radio Radio Classics. Classics. Hey, it's Troy Patrick Farrell from This, That, and the Other Radio Show. Tune in to This, That, and the Other every Wednesday, live from 2 to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, here only at Dirty Radio Classics.